Greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good buddies Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of many topics. And this week is the Mount Rushmore of second fiddles. Richard chose it. Why? Uh, I was thinking about one person in particular. Um, I kind of, his name came up. And it got me thinking just about other people who kind of have to play a supporting role to the main character. So mm-hmm. this is kind of, I'm also willing to accept second bananas. Yeah. In this one even though I do think there's a slight difference between a second fiddle and a second banana, but I think it's just become so used yeah. ubiquitously for each other that it, the yes. distinction's kind of fallen apart. Yes. Uh, I think of a second banana as having an entertainment kind of uh, positioning. Is that, is it? Well, if only you slip on it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I think a second, a second fiddle is somebody who, who does a similar thing to somebody else, but just doesn't get the recognition or yeah. isn't on the same level as them. I think a second banana is someone who is there to support yes. the main person. Yes. I, I think a straight man in a comedy is often the hardest uh, role to fill because it's a uh, it's an incredibly important. Uh, it's almost like the trampoline in in a gymnastic routine. It, it is the thing that gives everything its thrust and, and oomph, and, and it is the thing that things spring off against. Um, but yeah, but it sounds like the maybe the second second fiddle is kind of doing the same thing the first one does without the recognition so okay uh we also know that this is entitled the mount rushmore podcast and uh so during this uh podcast i would love to put up the vice presidential mount rushmore as well so if there was a monument in i don't know um sioux falls south dakota not rapid city south dakota sioux falls south dakota uh to uh, vice presidents who would be on that sucker so um maybe mm. we'll pull some political figures out and pop them up on there so richard chose it uh michael what is your first second fiddle my my hold on i didn't know we had to do math on this episode my <laughs> first <second>. um, <laughs> my first second fiddle i think it might be a very obvious one but it seems uh wildly appropriate um art garfunkel to paul simon oh wow that's a fun hey, one. And, simon cast talk in a while <laughs> yeah, and I think that there's so much of this relationship that was hand in hand. It was, you know, Simon and Garfunkel um, up until they split in what, 1969, 1970, that they were kind of ubiquitous. Um, as I understand it, um, Garfunkel wasn't necessarily like the songwriter of the two, but he, I think he kind of had a better singing voice and they balanced each other so well. But I think that once um, they split up, even though they were kind of built together and, you know, kind of did everything as this, you know, this, this folk duo, the Paul Simon-ness kind of um, overshadowed him. And so I think though they were, you know, so hand in hand, I think that there's just, uh, Garfunkel has just kind of become um, ubiquitous with the other guy. And I think that there's a, a lot of second fiddleness, which is, uh, like you guys said, they kind of do the same thing. They kind of have the same power, but just one person um, just oversteps. Either they they take it to the next level, or um, or just like the power dynamic within within a couple is um, is just different. You know, we did we did an episode similar to this last year or two years ago, which was. Um, uh, sidekicks. And I would never call Garfunkel Paul Simon's sidekick. He was, I think they were truly partners for such a long time, uh, musically and uh, what they put out. But I think that at just some point, one person just kind of naturally starts kind of taking uh, all the attention. The limelight can only shine so bright amongst um, two people, you know. That's an interesting point of view I, I think within entertainment specifically music for uh pop acts at of that era I, I think i remember paul simon saying i wanted to stop being the everly brothers with Artie, and i wanted to be elvis by myself so mm. think of the the duets like the everly's uh or even like the Louvens or the people who came before as being a a way of marketing yourself and presenting yourself as someone successful um 
the that's funny. Yeah, it's funny because in in Wham, I remember remember thinking George Michaels was pretty great, but uh, Andrew Ridgely was in there dancing around too. <laughs> he was just, yeah, they right. seemed pretty similar. <laughs> I think the I think the biggest issue that Garfunkel did make was it wasn't until like nineteen. 75 or so where Paul Simon became really good friends with like Lauren Michaels and like Art Garfunkel became really good friends with whoever was the person that did second city. Yeah. I mean, that just, uh, that yeah. just, you know, well, I think, uh, uh, didn't Art Garfunkel have uh film success, at least I think he was in catch 22. Catch 22 and, right. And, um, the, well, the Mike Nichols film, um, gosh, darn it. Um, you know, he was in a movie, he was in scenes with Jack Nicholson in, God, it's killing me. The Jules Pfeiffer um, movie. So here's a guy who went down the pieces. I was. It wasn't that. It was ah, shoot. Is Candace Bergen, Jack Nicholson? Holy smokes! Yentl. <laughs> Pause. Hold, please. Well, I Art Garfunkel. But when Garfunkel had... appeared in the Two Jakes, yeah, that was. <laughs> he's only appeared in sequels. Yes. Uh, uh, he was a carnal knowledge. Uh, he there was in that, and I think so. He had probably this impetus to go off and be a film star and yeah yeah i i find it also interesting too is uh the size of the banana the size of the, the size fiddle of the <laughs> so hello <laughs> um you know there's a guy uh who had huge success uh, by being the fourth banana and as Ringo Starr, he had a number one freaking song. George Harrison had a couple number ones, and he was the third banana, the third fiddle in this act. Had not Lennon and McCartney been such hugely successful first and second fiddles, whoever, however you rank them, those guys would not be in the shadow of anybody. They themselves would have had... Uh, well, uh, Ringo still would have been, kind of. Let's be honest. Do you think? Well, okay. Well, Ringo uh, didn't write his own stuff. He was not particularly the strongest singer, I think. I think Ringo singles were successful because either a there were a great single written mm -hmm. for him by somebody else, or b everyone just loved Ringo and wanted to see him do well. Yeah, I and you he, actually I you actually, actually wrote some of those. I don't know. I don't think I so. Maybe not. Um, but you you walked right into my first pick, which okay. is George, Har which is George Harrison, George, George, the okay. uh, the Quiet Beetle. Okay, um, and 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 enforced quietness in the early stages stages of his career when it came to the songs that he was writing, mm -hmm. that Paul and John wanted nothing to do with being on the early Beatles albums. Yeah, so George would get his one kind of spotlight song, whether it was something that he wrote, or more often than not, kind of a throwaway Lennon McCartney song. And it wasn't until later on, say probably you know, revolver era when he started putting out stuff that that McCartney and Lennon had to say, okay, this deserves to be, deserves to be on the album in its own right. Yeah. Something like uh, uh, Taxman, mm -hmm. which is probably the first big George Harrison written song to, I mean, lead revolver. It's the first song off the album. And yeah, it's it just goes to show, I mean, like you said, that that's to be... I mean, whether you want to consider Lennon one A or or one B or however you want to flip him with McCartney, the Lennon McCartney writing partnership was the first fiddle in the Beatles. Yeah, and I just can't imagine how hard how hard it must have been to present a song. I know George Harrison talked about this to try to present one of your songs in a in a session when you know Lennon and McCartney have 30 incredible songs, they're just yeah. you know, stacking up like, you know, like cordwood. Mm -hmm. I think also what happened for George too, is the world and music evolved a little bit uh, as influenced by a guy like Bob Dylan or Joan Baez or somebody there was a, within the pop realm, the bandwidth for counterculture messaging emerged and folk had impacted rock so uh profoundly that george is a little bit more uh um kind of subterfuge could come out and i think he he had that voice i think at that time even though tax man is about getting ripped off by inland revenue or whatever right <laughs> you know it's just my i make a lot of money i want to hold on to it um <laughs> um you know and still still the, the kind of the lennon mccartney were writing moon june uh 
boy girl kind of things. And George, George had some different ideas. You know, it's funny. There's a, a podcast, the Beatles naked, um, which talks about the Beatles uh, music, of course, but then their popularity and their presence in culture. And as they started traveling the world, the guy who was the funniest in the press conferences first was George Harrison. It wasn't John. John was the quiet one who couldn't get a word in. He was just too nervous. Um, and George was the funny one er early on making jokes. And time doesn't remember it that way. We think of the hard day's night and the press conference, you know, them in front of that Pan Am uh, billboard and John and Paul right. making all the jokes and Ringo being the goofy um, uh, um, terrier. <laughs> but right. George was Please the funny one. Me. Yeah. 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 But that's no, a fun, I, that's a funny, that's a fun choice. It's very, very potent. It's almost like the Derek's it's a, it's a quote about George, but it's Derek, Derek Smalls saying one's fire, one's ice and I'm lukewarm water. <laughs> yeah, basically. And it's, it's interesting to me that this, the Beatles are what happens when you have two first fiddles. Yeah. Right. Eventually it, it, it can't, it can't sustain that kind of pressure. Mm -hmm. Eventually yeah. that's going to, blow up and what you i think you started to see as they got later on in their careers as the tensions between lennon and mccartney grew there were more opportunities for george to slide some more of his songs onto these albums because george wasn't necessarily competing with john or with paul he was just there doing his own thing yeah his own thing which was like you said in many ways you know with the indian influences mm -hmm. very yeah. different than what either of the other two were doing yeah, I think the rise of the album format too. Everything was always a single before, and now mm -hmm. you have this uh, story that you're telling uh, uh, throughout the entire album format. So you need different chapters and different feels. And and uh, hey, people are going to be doing drugs about this point. <laughs> Maybe a George song would be with some sitars would be great for this. So cool. That's a fun second fiddle. Um, or second sitar or whatever. All right. Uh, <laughs> Mike Winfield, what's your second of the second? My second uh, fiddles is uh, a trio of fiddles uh, next to one uh, top fiddle. And that is the other Ghostbusters compared to Peter Venkman. And <laughs> now all of the other Ghostbusters are seemingly uh, much more um, understanding of the technology. They're much more, um, uh, they're scientists. They, uh, believe in it a lot more than uh, Peter does as the um, kind of the con man of the group, but really like they all fall. And of course, Irby Hudson, they all fall compared to like this, the, the dynamism and the magnetic nature that is, uh, you know, uh, Bill Murray's Peter Venkman. It doesn't matter. Like in every situation, you know, Egon is kind of, you know, the, the guy that has designed it all, all the, done all the technology, and um, Ray Stance is the one that kind of has is kind of the big idea man that has kind of done all the research and kind of believes all this stuff. And Peter is just like the guy that is um, uh, there, getting things done, working through the system, convincing the other two to pursue it, and he's just he's, he's the, the face front. of the he's the face of the operation. Yeah, and like you think of the Ghostbusters as like this, you know, this uh, quad of people, but really it's like Peter Venkman and then the other Ghostbusters. And it's, you know, the other, as actors and as comedians, they're all like really funny on screen and they all bring a very different aspect, but really, you know, Bill Murray just so stands out. And it's really his like motivation in the, the movie. And usually it's, it's kind of his... Um, motivation to be kind of a horn dog for uh, Dana Barrett, that Sigourney Weaver character that kind of is what pushes the story forward. He's trying to get with her and that leads to more uh, interactions with Zool and Gozer and yeah. all of that in the first movie. And later on in Ghostbusters 2, uh, her child and um, getting back into her life. But um, I don't know, he's just, he he's in a movie that has like these kind of four kind of top build actors um, or the four like top build characters within the group. He definitely is just the one that stands out and all the other Ghostbusters just become the second fiddle to, uh, to him as a character and his motivations and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. Yeah, I think Winston Zeddemore 
also oh, thank says, you. I couldn't think of his name. Oh, yeah. I, I looked at it. Thank you, Wikipedia. I looked it up. Uh, he signs up for a job. You know, it's just, hey, I'm just here to do the gig. Uh, I, I do wonder, had Eddie Murphy accepted that role, would... Oh, that's interesting. Would Bill uh, Murray have been balanced out a little bit by mm. this funnier, wiser, cracking, crackener Ghostbuster? But I, in a way, I think... Uh, wasn't also wasn't also um, uh, one of the uh, the Blues Brothers? Who's the one that died? Uh, John Belushi. Wasn't John Belushi supposed to be in this as well? I think he was supposed to be the Bill Murray role. Oh, I like. Yeah, I, I, bet I think you. there's I, there's some there's something that's tickling my head mm-hmm. in the back of my brain about that. That like you know a, another character probably wouldn't have another actor probably wouldn't have been as. Um, psychotic about yeah I, I guess you know who knows what's funny when you started talking about um murray and his character um i know belushi evolved pretty quickly into wanting to play uh roles that weren't blutarski or weren't the um party starting anarchic weirdo um but i do see the that role as kind of the the audience advocate, somebody to, who's a real goofball who's going to kind of cut through the science and the pseudoscience uh, that the two other characters are, are wallowing in and kind of blunder his way towards success. Um, it almost seems like that's even the kind of role Will Ferrell has, has, uh, has elected to take on um, in, his, in, his, in his oeuvre. But yeah, I could, I could see if it was Belushi, he would be, uh, th- there would be Hoover, you know, the uh, president of the uh, the Delta fraternity and the guy who's making all the good decisions. And then, you know, is it Otter? I forget Boone or whoever the guys who are actually kind of actually trying to succeed or trying to keep their charter at least. But then there's this guy who's just blundering his way uh, saying Leroy Jenkins and busting ass <laughs> into the room and, and Lee, yeah. That's a fun choice. I think that there's too um, an aspect of second fiddleness is you end up kind of talking about the first fiddle sometimes a little bit more in order to define the second fiddle. Mm-hmm. Like I, they, when someone becomes so overshadowed the way that I couldn't remember Winston Zeddemore's name, you're just sitting there and like, oh yeah, this he's definitely the. I'm trying to think of if you were to start ranking them you know, one through four, Winston's number four, um, probably Bankman's Ray is three, three. Egon, oh, really? just because, well, just because of, I think how- Bankman's one, sorry. I mean, it's, I mean, it's yeah. Egon. Egon's probably two, just because he's so different from Bankman. Like just to create that difference, he, he, he stands out because of his um, excessive nerdiness rather than Ray is kind of somewhere in between the two. Oh, did you say excessive nerdiness, Michael? <laughs> well, we let, me have, let me have a nerd for you. Because my, my, my second choice would be Carl Winslow from the TV series Family Matters. Mm. Oh, um, okay. Who was supposed to be the star of the show. Oh, good choice. Sitcom oh, was based around the idea of this kind of spinoff from this character, his wife, who was a... Uh, character on perfect strangers um and eventually it was supposed to be a spinoff and then carl was supposed to be the lead uh character in this and steve urkel was brought in as a one-off character as someone to be an annoying neighbor annoying date for their daughter laura and people loved him and so they brought brought him back as a recurring character and then in season two he started off as a regular and pretty quickly it became the stephen urkel show Hmm. And any of the storylines that involve Carl Winslow suddenly became B storylines. Um, and I just it just goes to show how sometimes it maybe this is a rare example of the second banana becoming the first banana, or the second fiddle becoming the first fiddle. Yeah, um, a, a a rare example of you know a uh, a character kind of going past its intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, origins. I, I hate, hate to break into sports real quick, but he's the, the, the Tom Brady 
of the um, Patriots where he was the backup that came in and not even quite a backup. He was just someone that was on the sideline and then he kind of filled in in a big spot and never really let go of the, um, the limelight. Yeah, exactly. And now, of course, we can't stop talking about Steve Urkel the way that we have been for 25 years. Exactly. Uh, I think we've discussed this dynamic many times before, but the, the Tom Bosley seems like uh, uh, of that show is Carl Winslow because uh, yes. he was quickly eclipsed by, uh, be, be, I think the model for Family Matters wasn't dissimilar from the model for happy days this kind of father knows best kind of scenario or 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 cosby or something where this person is kind of the patriarch and the stories originate with them and then kind of funnel down to the supporting characters but then the uh gregarious interesting younger (laughs) characters kind of eclipse right eclipse it yeah yeah, people want it, want more are more nostalgic for themselves as teenagers as they are nostalgic for their parents as middle-aged men. Yeah. I think uh, there's one I think there's one show that really has managed to it's been on for 30 plus years now, but I think The Simpsons has been one of those rare shows where they've really done a lot of like kind of equal billing and equal show carrying amongst like at least the four members of The Simpsons. I I would probably say that it probably started out as a Homer-centric show, uh, as like as you guys have been talking about, but each kind of character has had their own pillar to kind of hold up within the family and have these shows really uh, twist around, being based on you know uh, Maggie, notwithstanding that you know there have been Marge episodes and Lisa episodes and Homer episodes and Bart episodes, and I think that that's a show that has been one of those rare ones that's had this huge supporting cast of characters, but has really still been focused around those four. I, I wouldn't say that there's really a second fiddle within that group. And it's interesting to think of it in those terms. Uh, I hadn't thought of Happy Days as like a, a Tom Bosley show, or I would never have even thought of um, Carl Winslow as the main character on that show until you said it, Richard. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Earlier on in Happy Days, you remember they, they had laugh track but they had an applause track for bosley when he came on <laughs> you know hello marion and then the audience was like, applause like oh it's the beloved uh patriarch of this this show like i remember as a kid don't, ax- go, don't accidentally that? press the blow dart <laughs> dart dart in the neck and then you go down uh, no uh, no that's right next to it who put it there they Jimmy had da- they had they had david doyle standing by in case anything <laughs> happened to tom bosley this uh, Jimmy Walker interview, he was talking about getting um, good times. And first of all, like, he, he, was, uh, he, was, he didn't show up. They got him a script. They basically said, You've, you have the part. I think he was in New York doing stand-up in New York. And uh, they said, you know, show up at this time for rehearsals, which is three weeks before they'd start taping. He didn't show up for rehearsals. He didn't show up on the first day of taping because he didn't think they were serious. He didn't think he really got the part that they were just <laughs> lying to him. So we does. So John Amos and Esther Roll and all these people think that they are the stars of the show because that's, it's about this family. They think this is the black um, all in the family and they're going to be the leads in it because they are told that they're the leads. And then JG Walker shows up after they start taping and then starts improving all this dynamite stuff. And they're like, oh no, we just lost this show to this jerk. And they would say, absolutely not. We, we don't cu- cut out that dynamite stuff. So the director would tape all the dynamite stuff after they left and edit it into the show. Like, oh no, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So you watch it on TV and see all this stuff that was taped after you left the soundstage and to see this guy stealing the show from seeing your your paycheck just start yes <laughs> yes okay well uh two presidents i want to nominate for our vice presidents for before we go to our halftime um i think uh walter mondale when i was a kid like the first vice president that i remember was walter mondale and he just kind of seemed like a normal kind of decent kind of guy i don't know what and he looked like my step-grandfather a white hair uh, thick kind of bifocal type, type of glasses, like you could probably play uh, Lady of Spain on the accordion or something like that. So, um, pretty pretty decent guy. Uh, anybody else want to 
put another vice president for the vice presidential Mount Rushmore? No, this is going to be crazy. This is going to be crazy. I literally can't think of George Bush Jr.'s, GW's vice president. And I think that is the ultimate second fiddle when he's not been out of office. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I had... He shot one of his friends in the face. Well, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. Uh, no, you're right. For some, for, why for, president, for some reason, I, I had Juhini in my head as his chief of staff, like just like as like a Machiavellian behind the scenes chief of staff type guy. But I, I guess you're right. Bruce Cheney. I mean, it's is that wild? Like how quickly some things just fade away. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for me, we got to um, two two in a row for me. The that were breaking the mold of the vice president because I was listening to a history podcast earlier and the first couple of vice presidents i forget when they stopped this the first few vice presidents were the guy who came in second for being president so right if you got beat out you had to be a vice president for the guy who got your job which is interesting though because don't you want a vice president who could have been president I, not a vice president who just makes the guy look good um like uh, lbj was the guy who made uh, this Catholic guy from the East Coast, whose dad was a bootlegger, John F. Kennedy. He was the guy who made him seem like a viable choice. Um, but uh, the first vice president I ever voted for was Al Gore. And he just seemed like throughout that presidency, like a guy who was almost like a backup president, you know, somebody who yeah. was, who's very, you know, present and very uh, influential in, that's one of the strange. That's one of the strange things that I started noticing. Really, I guess in the last four or five years with um, Mike Pence was like he was just always around and next to Trump for some yeah. reason. Like I don't remember uh, uh, Joe Biden being next to Obama all the time. Like all the time, every single thing that he's signing, every little trip that they're making, and the same thing is kind of transferred over with. Um, uh, Kamala Harris, where she's like, just kind of around. I think it's, I think part of it's to kind of like, uh, do two things. One to reassure, like, at least for Mike Pence to reassure everyone that like, okay, there's an adult in the room that's standing yeah. next to him and saying like, ah, by the way, Mr. President, you, you can't, um, you can't sign this uh, presidential memo with a cheese stick. It doesn't, it's not going to work. <laughs> and I think that like with um, the reverse is happening with uh, Kamala Harris, where Joe Biden's been around for so long that some of his gravitas is kind of rubbing off on her in a certain way. Like it's like a transfer of power one way or another. Um, but like, I, I don't remember that happening as much with Reagan and Bush. Of course I was, you know, a kid. I don't remember that happening with, um, uh, Clinton and Gore and, uh, you know, and G.W. Bush and um, fill in the blank name. Cheney. Oh, yeah, yeah Cheney, Cheney. Yeah, the I think uh, that's funny because that, that seems to be the Biden. That was part of his kind of uh, campaign was one and done. And here's this awesome vice president that you should uh, get ready for. I, so. What I think now he's like, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm going to I'm. I'm going to ride this, these first two months into eight years. Hold on tight. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yep. All right. So hold on tight is what you should do, because we're just going to talk a little bit about um, how you could go in and download, rate, and review past episodes and let us know, uh, you know, of this podcast where we talk about cereal or wrestling or The Simpsons or something else that we repeat all the time. What's the first banana? What's the second banana what what is the one the other one that you think uh is good uh, second fiddle and then you yeah if you're, go... if you're talking bananas you're talking plantains that are the second banana they gotta be yeah yeah, yeah. that's gotta no, be no one's going plantains one banana two come on even, come in, on. Cuba. even in cuba they're not even doing in that. <laughs> yeah to make plantains edible you gotta like fry them up in grease and you gotta do all this kind of stuff to, to them, right? I mean, well, I've never had yeah, a basically, yeah. But a banana, you just got to pick it off the. the when the Ramon, when the Ramon sang sung about um, going to Havana, they didn't sing about plantains. They sang oh. about bananas. When um, <laughs> the when was the, the knowledgeable? Uh, yeah. When 
when uh what's his name uh from the beetlejuice movie sung about um uh the yeah. banana song he wasn't yeah. singing about plantains get out of here no. plantains no enjoy yeah. your chips someplace go to portos we got you yeah get out of here all right, so download, rate, and review past episodes and go uh, out on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and suggest future episodes. You can influence the Mount Rushmore podcast. We are very uh, influenceable. Not influential. We're very influenceable. Uh, we're not influencers. You <laughs> we'll are. do whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> we're not influencers. Where's the influenceable? Um, new Stallone uh, ensemble film, The Influenceables. So do that. <laughs> And versus the influenzables, which influenzables. is a bunch of guys who didn't get their shots. So yeah, just kind oh. of feeling a little oh, so horrible. Sick, yeah. oh, just a little rundown, still going into work. Uh, idiots. <laughs> okay, uh, Ma- Michael Winfield, what is yeah. your third? Jelly, as in peanut oh, butter sweet. and jelly. Oh my god! Listen, really, I I understand that Big Jelly is really trying to push themselves when you go to like your breakfast diner in those little like tins and the little like cups fuck yeah. you fuck you jelly yeah you're nothing you're nothing without peanut butter oh wait so really i don't all know the, about that all the places where jelly is just for yeah toast that's not yeah that's, that's, that's not acceptable no i i think that is jelly trying to climb back up peanut butter's ranks as like the dominant they're trying to get back into peanut butters um in their whole like oeuvre okay. of like how dominant peanut butter is peanut okay. butter is this um condiment that is just it's so good with everything it's it's great with jelly no doubt about it jelly makes peanut butter better but guess what chocolate chocolate and peanut butter pretty good you throw some peanut butter on a um on a piece of celery yeah not bad i think also nobody jelly jelly is good jelly. for you yeah, jelly is out there, just they're on the coattails. You don't really know what to do with it. You're just like, huh, jelly is here. What am I going to put? I don't know if anyone's reaching for jelly all that often without yeah. peanut butter. Certainly we're not in this household. And don't bring marmalade into this because marmalade <laughs> is its own thing. Oh, I wasn't going to. What about jam? That's what I was going to say, jam. I. What's so weird is mm. I was going to say Kelly Rowland's is the jelly to Beyonce's peanut butter, but then... Beyonce saying, I don't think you're ready for this jelly, not peanut butter. Yeah. So I was kind of confused. I'm confused, confused myself. But that's okay. So yeah, I would say molasses is tertiary. I think if you're jelly and there's a thing out there, jam, that people don't know the difference between you and that's also a problem. That is true. I mean, I don't know what preserves are. I know that we've yeah. had them in our house when I haven't been able to find jelly. I bought them and kind of been disappointed jelly is just kind of this it's a thing that is just like my kid doesn't yeah. want it as much as he wants peanut butter and maybe that's the aspect of it like if you're going to put it between two risk crackers you're not putting jelly there you're counterpoint. putting yeah. you're, mm. counterpoint yes please um my wife sarah my wife uh, my wife no please don't do that um does canning and when she does canning she makes jams and jellies nobody cans peanut butter as a hobby yeah just throwing that out there that there's no okay hobbyist peanut butter makers as far as i know i'm sure the closest Port- you get i'm it, sure in portland there's some sort of you know yeah like artisanal I'll, artisanal I'll, peanut butter but i'll give this the closest you get with um uh, any sort of butter maybe it's a peanut or an almond butter a nut butter if you will is if you're like going to like the whole foods or you're going to like a trader joe's or you're going to like, I'm going to take it back to LA in the mid eighties, in the nineties to a Mrs. Gooch's. And all it is, is like, they're just <laughs> like these, they're like these things that you just like crank and turn into like fresh nut butter, which oh. is just the most, which is the, the most disgusting thing you can just say. Yeah. That's bad. nut butter. Nut butter is one of the worst things you could possibly say. Yeah. But I think that um, jelly is just, I think it is a set, it is a secondary um, consumable spread to peanut butter. And when I'm at a breakfast place and I have a piece of like sourdough toast, I'm putting butter on that bitch. To be fair, there's no such mm. thing as a Reese's 
jelly cup. Yeah, what would be what would be that would not exist? <laughs> what is the closest? That's interesting. What is the closest jelly candy thing? Well, like a cookie hmm. that's got like a jelly like inside, like a like jammer. a, a oh. cookie with like a jam like dollop on it. You're not telling the yeah. donut lady and even to give and me even one of them so peanut that, butter filled. Give me one of them peanut butter filled donuts. I will donut say lady. this. I will say this. Fuck you, the person that's buying like the jelly donut because it's always the one that's like left over in the box at work. Yep. Like we have no one's been to work in a year plus now, but like the person, (laughs) the 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 person that is like jonesing for the jelly filled donut. I don't know who you are. Hmm. Just get just get a raise and be done with it and go home. All right. Take that jelly. Take that jelly. Yeah, finally put jelly in its place. Wow. And it's Not- in its second fiddle stature. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. Theme parks. Knots Ooh. has like a whole, there's a whole jelly, jelly theme. But knots, knots in this, the, you, you just proved, you park. just proved my point. Uh, Jeffrey. Knots is a well, second fiddle. It is, it's even it's not, not even not second. Peanut butter land. Third fiddle. It's third fiddle to Six Flags. Six Flags oh, Magic wow. Mountain, at least here in SoCal or at least around the, the country. Where's where's there another knots? There's knots. Boy, there's there's not knots. There's there's not. Not yeah. That. yeah. All right. Okay. Uh any other vice presidents you want to do? <laughs> no. Okay. okay we're <laughs> moving on from not, stop trying to make that happen. Okay. All right. Uh I'm gonna look Richard. it up while Richard uh blabs on. Yeah. Richard. My third choice is oh, Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck, okay. Um, and oh, very, spe- good one. very specifically in the cartoons where they're both performing him and Bugs Bunny. Okay. And Daffy Duck assumes that he is going to be the star of the show. Yeah. And invariably he is not because he is not as charming or talented or funny or whatever he, whatever needs to happen as Bugs Bunny is. Yeah. Um, and I, I, my favorite little bit in any of those cartoons is one... Daffy Duck gets up there and does a, an elaborate song and dance routine, and you can just see the flop sweat literally <laughs> pouring <laughs> out of him. And he gets done, ta-da! And you just hear the crickets. That is like the ultimate, <laughs> the ultimate in second fiddleness, right yeah. there. Yeah, I think an interesting thing about Daffy Duck is you could say, "What is the best Daffy Duck cartoon?" And it will always have Bugs Bunny in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like there's no like great that I can think of. I'm sure there are great ones. Well, there's the Duck Dodgers ones. Duck Dodgers are pretty good. That's true. You know what he does, but there are no like great Daffy Duck where he's carrying it by himself without Porky Pig. True. It's almost like he's like Porky Pig is his crutch. He's like a, it's like you mentioned Jeff the near the top. It's like the straight man thing. Like. Uh, Daffy Duck works because there's a great straight man in Porky Pig who's just, uh, you know, filling whatever role he is. And same thing with Bugs Bunny is Bugs Bunny. He's so, um, he has so many multiples in him that he, Bugs Bunny can play straight man, Bugs Bunny can play goofy, Bugs Bunny can play, uh, you know, cross dresser. (laughs) Bugs Bunny can play, can do all the different roles to, you know, uh, to put down Daffy Duck and um, Daffy Duck really needs, he really needs it. He's too bombastic uh, as an individual character too you know, almost too mm-hmm. quick to anger. He's um, him and him and Donald definitely have a, um, uh, a shared, uh, shared essence. Yeah. Shared anger boy, issues. Boy, they hate ducks. They're, <laughs> they're just an- animators <laughs> just saw a duck and were like, wow, I fucking hate whatever that is. <laughs> I, Holy shit. I can see how you might transfer the asshole persona of a goose because geese are just assholes. Oh, they're the mm. worst. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of that, but you know, I think they do have a you know an abrasive sound. But I, I guess I would think like within I always think thought Warner Brothers was as as a young person, you see a bunch of animated uh, shows and you think that they were creative for children. And then at least the early ones you realize were made for uh, um, all audiences and many adults would see them and they have to be entertaining to adults because they'd come before a feature film. 
And the world that Warner Brothers created had so much more, I think, of an everyman. It wasn't trying to be the happiest world like Disney. I think because they didn't have animated features like the Walt Disney Company had where where princesses were frolicking with you know birds and singing to squirrels and things like that. But it seems like Warner Brothers got to be real. It got to have cynicism and it got to have abrasive characters who felt like they were somebody you could relate to. And I think as much as- I have, as a, question. Was... I have a question for you in a second, Richard, uh, Jeff. Yeah, no, later. Uh, no, go ahead. As much as Bugs. Oh, I think uh, like if Bugs was already a person who kind of had a Bronx kind of kind of raz he was about to give you the raspberry any any minute now oh my god daffy was even worse like mm -hmm. <laughs> he was just even this edgier kind of kind of guy like the joe, to Turoness, the yeah the joe pantoliano oh yeah. or whatever yeah uh jeffrey yeah why has there never been a major disney movie based on their prime character that they're most known for where is the mickey mouse movie and oh. isn't that wild to think like he's been in movies obviously yeah. he's been, yeah. you know he was he was a prominent feature and um kind of he's so iconic within his like fantasia role but where why hasn't there been a mickey mouse like the mickey mouse movie or mickey yeah. mouse there was runaway brain was i think a feature and i think he's i think he's the lead in that there have been there have been a few uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that they are very protective of the image and the characterization and all that. But it's very surprising. Like within the, you know, what going on ninety years of Disney animated. Yeah, yeah. Like there hasn't been. Like at some point, no one has written like the definitive or written like Mickey does X, Y, and Z, and you know, overcomes this and that. Mm -hmm. Is it because they want to leave him ambiguous? Is it they want to leave him as just so good natured i mean you know listen i spend so much time with my son watching like all these disney shorts with like mickey and donald and goofy yeah. is the clock cleaners and all these just tons of different things all the time but like it got to me like oh the closest they ever got was like a mickey christmas carol and even that's kind of yeah, like he's not oh. the star of that that's really Don or a scrooge mcduck show yeah a lot a lot of the you know anytime it's a, a christmas carol the main character is Scrooge or is a, you know, yeah. But like, I don't know. I just, it's interesting that there hasn't been yeah. like an effort, even, even with like the, sorry, I'm going to wax on a little bit, yeah. even within like the early two thousands, when there was such a push to switch to like a digital, a digital medium with like um, dinosaur and all this stuff, it would have been prime to be like, okay, we can take, we can redefine Disney as Mickey 3d. And then he's like stuck in like the Mickey clubhouse or whatever. Yeah. Even I was wrong. Runaway Brains is short too. I I have to imagine that um, there are very flawed, like Plute, uh, sorry, Goofy uh, has a Goofy movie and he shows, Goofy is a, in that film shown as very, a very earnest and a very uh, uh, thoughtful father who fails all the time. And I think as the corporate uh, figurehead mickey and feature films maybe don't go together because of the amount of character arc that a character needs to do to go through those even though in the shorts he's showing he learns by bravely there's there's, there's no place for mickey at the end of a second act where he's just sitting there his hands are on his knees he doesn't know what to do next yeah. until you get so to a climax you know versus you know pace pot pee yeah. or whatever you're just like no one wants to see Mickey defeated, even for like a 10 yeah. minute stretch where Minnie Mouse has gone off. She hasn't, you know, to go into like a, mm -hmm. uh, uh, like a romantic comedy thing. You know, there's been a misunderstanding between him and Minnie Mouse and he's sitting there on the side of the road until he's inspired by X, Y, and Z. I guess no one wants to see Mickey like sad at any point. Yeah. That, that, could, that could be, I'd, I'd actually like a good answer about, uh, as to why that is, I'm going to ask. Uh, they think that Mickey's inspiration were uh, film characters like uh, Charlie Chaplin's Tramp or Errol Flynn's swashbuckling character. So his pre precedents were 
enough to make a feature film, although Chaplin was mostly in shorts. But that's that's an interesting that's an interesting observation. I, what I find interesting when I learn about the history of many Disney characters, but specifically Mickey, is how for decades we were introduced to people were introduced to Mickey and saw most of their Mickey Mouse in the comic strip and comic um, collectible kind of collected art. Um, what would you call like a graphic novel now? Um, so Mickey, people would read about Mickey Mouse every day in mm. the comic strips, but you wouldn't maybe see a Mickey Mouse feature once every six months or something or Mickey Mouse short. But uh, Daffy, it, Daffy, Daffy Duck would seem to be a really tough one to have a three panel strip of what would he do? He would just like smash yeah. his face into each side, <laughs> yeah. at least the early, if the early 30s, 40s. Daffy, yeah. He would just He'd smash his face into panel. each side. He would just come rip out of through the panel. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Daffy seems like the retcon. Was it that we were we talking about some Sesame Street short form pieces where uh, the Beethoven esque character was hammering his head against the keyboard in anger? I forget which character that was. Yeah, who... they had to, uh, they eventually had to have him stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> because kids were imitating him. I feel like Daffy and his rage uh, generating antics seem like the, the person you need to retcon out of, out of the yeah. Warner Brothers universe a little I, bit. Uh, Jeff, I would like to um, volunteer. Uh, Richard Mentor Johnson, Vice President, okay. from 1837 to 1841. I have no idea who the fuck this guy is. It's a cool name. I think though. that there. I think that if you were going to have Johnson? A, uh, Dick Johnson, <laughs> Dick Johnson, as <laughs> Vice President, if you were to have um, someone on the Vice President uh, Mount Rushmore, you would definitely need to have someone that's like who the. You have to. You have yeah. to like. You have to look it up. You get three of them that you know, and then there's a the one you're like, oh, God damn it! Now I got to open an encyclopedia it's the one that that's the answer that nobody gets on the vice president's category yeah on yeah. jeopardy what if we find that, out that, that or levi p morton from 1889 <laughs> to 1893 this guy looks like a grandma he's on the three dollar bill what what <laughs> all right uh winfield your fourth and final fiddle of, of second my final fiddle is Luigi Mario to oh. Mar Mario Mario. <laughs> Younger, taller, skinnier brother, but forever will be known as player two. Oh, wow. There is not another character who has as equal amount of um, kind of powers, ability, yet he will always be number two. Counterpoint, mm. Luigi's Mansion. He has a whole uh, series named after that involves him specifically. Um, other counterpoint. Uh, I think that's a. I think that's a. I think that's a Ghostbuster type um, ripoff movie where he sucks up ghosts in a vacuum, and I would assume that that was also like a failed um, Peter Venkman plot. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but no, that's true. You know, Luigi definitely within the. Um, Mar, you know, the dark cinematic Mario verse um, has displayed his own set of powers, certainly by um, Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, kind of the four characters that you could play, whether it was Mario, Luigi, Peach, or Toad, each kind of displayed um, a certain sense of self. You know, Mar uh, Luigi could jump a little bit higher, but um, he will always be Mario's brother. And I think that there is an additional second fiddleness in that even his last name is his older brother's first name. He's always Luigi Mario yeah. to Mario Mario. And mm. it's just, he will forever be, uh, if you're playing Mario Kart, does anybody want to be Luigi? No, you're probably wow. going to go to, you're probably going to go to Mario, who's like the most all around well-built character, or you're going to go for like Toad or maybe um, Yoshi who kind of have a little bit of speed. Luigi's just there and you're like, I guess so. Well, to make your point for you a little bit, uh, in please Luigi's, thank you. In Luigi's mansion, what is he doing Ooh. ultimately? He's trying to find Mario. <laughs> but even in his own story, he's not the protagonist. I, I think I think Luigi's greatest um, attribute is that, um, personally speaking, I love his arch 
his arch nemesis Waluigi more than I love mm-hmm. Wario. Mm-hmm. I love how like um, Waluigi is just this tall, gangly, awful kind of black licorice type character. Um, yeah, you just don't like him at all. But I love Waluigi. But while uh, Luigi himself, eh, Goober. Some, uh, you know, funny comparing, let's say we compare uh, the um, older son in the Corleone family, Fredo. He's just kind of this wizened um, little twerp, right? But then Michael Corleone. Oh, yeah. Is kind of like becomes the, the, the godfather to that family which is interesting it seems like what were i to say oh that's just how italian families are um meaning that luigi is the second fiddle i'd be wrong right because in this family and it's due to having a fever as a young man in the corleones it's very different that younger guy is the kind of the golden child i wish there was like a son i'm doing a quick mario mario godfather were there to be a sonny in in the luigi mario family that'd be great like a hot-headed whore banging <laughs> right <laughs> fighting guy and then like a tom hagen who's kind of like the the wise consigliere console to- to- toad hagen toad hey <laughs> okay <laughs> second second okay uh go ahead richard manfredi <laughs> okay <laughs> so in professional wrestling if you have Ooh. a tag team and it is clear that one member of the tag team is a much brighter star than the other one um, within that tag team. And you can just sort of see that one of them is destined for being a successful singles wrestler and the other one, eh, not so much. You say the eh, not so much one is the Marty Jannetty of, <laughs> of, the, the, uh, of, of the team. I was going to ask and, you, is there Hulk and Larry Hogan? Yes, Larry Storch was the Larry other Storch. One. Okay, uh, Marty. Who's Marty Janetti? Marty Janetti was oh, the t- good. You just made the point for him. Exactly. <laughs> he was the tag team partner of Shawn Michaels. Oh, okay. uh, in first AWA and then WWF under the uh, moniker of the Rockers, and they were like this sort of like rock and roll tag team. They had cool long haired mullets and. Neon sun- colors, neon colors, and sunglasses, and they were young, and the girls mm-hmm. all swooned for them. But it became pretty clear that Shawn Michaels was the the star of the two. So they orchestrated a breakup of the two that essentially consisted of Shawn Michaels deciding he was too good for Marty Jannetty, uh, super kicking him, and then throwing him headfirst through a glass window. Jeez, one of the most iconic breakups heel turns as we've discussed heel turns before in 80s pro wrestling history well that's oats that's what hall did to oats yeah it's almost through taken, a window <laughs> it's taken from court transcripts i believe <laughs> the exact same thing um and they had intended marty Janetti and sean michaels this to turn into a big singles feud with them Turns out Marty Jannetty had, like many wrestlers do, uh, issues with uh, drug and alcohol problems. So he had to take some time off after immediately after they did this angle. So then they wound up not coming back to it for several months. Um, and they were never able to really push Marty Jannetty as a singles wrestler versus Shawn Michaels, who went on to become this superstar face of the company, Hall of Fame type wrestler. It just never worked for Marty Jannetty. He just kind of became the goobery guy mm-hmm. who used to be used to be cool, but now he's kind of, he's kind of like the uncool uncle who used yeah. to be cool, kind of the Uncle Rico, yeah, of professional <laughs> wrestling a little bit. Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on with him. Wow, do you think that's part? Is there something in the industry? Do do duos? often have two rock stars and then those guys both go on to be amazing or do you think more often we see a duo a power duo made up of two individual rock stars like what does it ever go well you think i don't know i'm, I'm trying to i'd have to think about that but i mean for every bret hart you've got an anvil Neidhart who was more the tag team guy and then after the tag team splits up one of them goes on to be really successful and the other one kind of you know 
becomes yeah. a supporting Lingers. character. Yeah. A supporting character yeah. for other people. So is that the one of the functions? Because I don't know the uh how wrestlers go through the system or the you know if you could draw or, or kind of uh if you, if you were good enough as a healer face or whatever to go by yourself you would right they wouldn't put you with somebody else yeah okay so so tag teams are the domain of that person who's emerging in their talent or hasn't found their character yet or oftentimes oftentimes you know yes you would have some guys who would be tag team specialists who go all their careers kind of being part of tag teams but oftentimes the tag teams were hey you're not quite getting over as a singles wrestler we're going to put you with somebody else maybe someone who has some of the skills or yeah personality traits that you don't have who can kind of either teach you by being around them or kind of balance it out huh. yeah i'm trying to think of some of the ones that i remember that kind of fall into the same vein um uh, edge and christian where edge became such a bigger star than christian did uh jeff they were um kind of like in the same vein kind of rock and roll but kind of veered a little bit towards like goth maybe yeah might be vampires okay sort of thing <laughs> yeah edge got hurt at some point and had to kind of retire and i believe is back now but christian was one that kind of lingered on and kind of did some stuff but was never just never quite caught fire the same way that edge did yeah could be that that the name just like i don't know if your name is christian it's a tough thing just to wrestle under as an yeah. individual um Unless you're wrestling in the South mm. and you're just wrestling as a Christian, then you'll get <laughs> just, over. Just just the Christian. Christian. Um, uh, who did um, Sting wrestle with, Richard? Uh, he, Lex Luger. Lex Luger. That's and those guys, but those are, those both exploded into like pretty. Yeah, that's probably one of the rare examples of a tag mm-hmm. team. And they were kind of singles wrestlers who then came together as a tag team mm. and broke up. So maybe that had more of a mega powers yeah. feel to it yeah. than anything That's else. But yeah. Yeah, I'm looking oh, at um, a UK seems like a news source of some that are saying that uh, WWE legends Edge and Christian want to reunite for one more tag team run. I think the guy's 47? 47? 47-year-old yeah. performer, yeah. Oh. Yeah, Christian just signed with their competitor AEW, so that apparently won't be happening. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Uh, yeah. doc documentary i think it's i tina that's out now maybe it's mm-hmm. on the hbo uh, i didn't realize how long she dwelled in second banana-ness or at least her association with ike was so indelible in people's minds even after she was uh selling out stadiums journalists would always ask her about ike and uh and to be interviewed by somebody who immediately asked about your abuser you know i I just can't even imagine that. I think that was true with Paul uh, McCartney. You know, like here's this guy who was his, uh, uh, he was indelibly linked with who, who beat him up psychologically, but it was also almost like a sibling and uh, was trashing him in the press all the time. And people always ask, you know, what do you ever think you're going to get back together with that guy who's shitting on you? <laughs> yeah. That would suck. All right. Uh, so let's go Marty Janetti. Because I just love that name. Just love the name. <laughs> just like the idea that, and let's go Garfunkel, because that's a fun, you know, it's a ubiquitous second banana. But I also love the idea of, uh, um, you know, fuck jelly. Wow. That's I didn't know you. I didn't jelly. know you used you used fuck jelly. Jeff. No, just wow. like. That's an interesting. I'm 52 hey, whatever, years whatever old. you need. Whatever I you need to get by. I don't have as much natural moisture as I need. Um, <laughs> when I, and you know what? Just because I, I want to see somebody go ahead this week, let's go with Luigi Mario. Let's just yeah. go. With, it's three for Winfield this week. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, so this has been the Mount Rushmore of second fiddles. I also would say viola. That's probably the second fiddle, right? Yeah. Because that was like mm. the girl who played violin could sometimes be cute if you met her like in school in the grade school. Girl played viola. She usually had like a like the prescription shoes or something like that. Like that girl. 
Hey, I played viola. Wait a second. All right, this has been the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff. As always, I'm joined by my good. Wait, that's the introduction. That's the intro. Oh, now you're all thrown off. <laughs> Holy, I'm gonna get beat up by the guy who plays viola. I, as always, I'm Jeff. I'm Richard. I'm Viola. <laughs> he Michael Winfield did the thing. He did the thing. He never does the thing. I'm no second banana. Double <laughs> fiddle. Whatever the oh, fuck you guys are double, talking about. Double, double fiddle. Oh, that's what I when I get at that jello. Put up. <laughs>